Welcome back, everybody, for episode seven of the Goal Line Podcast, where we focus on helping you become a better leader on and off the field. Today, I am joined by a very close friend of mine, one who I've known my whole entire life, and he is currently the morning news anchor and a feature reporter for KOAM in Joplin, Missouri, and Pittsburgh, Kansas. Yes, that's right, everybody. There is a Pittsburgh, Kansas. Welcome, everybody, Jesse Irwin. Jesse, great to have you here. You know, I was like at your birth, right? <laughs> I was actually there in McGee. Uh, I So, okay, so I had the name first. I had Jesse first, and then Mendy, and then you. Yes, I'm the youngest one of our three Jessies. Rub right. it in. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, regardless, Jesse, it's it's great to have you here. So, no, thanks for having me, Jesse. I appreciate it. <laughs> Other than you being a close friend, which is not the the real reason why I had you on, actually, um, you know, I think there's a lot that you've done in your short life so far that I feel a lot of our listeners can find value from. So, um, you know, Jesse and I went to the same high school. That's where we really became closer friends. So, I, I've had the pleasure of seeing Jesse through good and bad times. Uh, Jesse's graduate of Pitt right here locally, where he started actually Pitt Tonight, which was a whole student-run organization, which we'll touch on. But um, Jesse, let's just start with graduating high school. Uh, so you first actually started- <laughs> What an accomplishment, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, you know, before Pitt Tonight, what, you always had this broadcast journalism type of goal. Now, what were you really thinking though um, at Penn State and then later on at Pitt? Kind of where, where did you see yourself? Uh, well, first of all, I want to clarify, uh, if my life is short, yours is a little short, has been a little shorter, uh, just, just for the who's been here okay, longer. Uh, no, uh, so before, where was I before Pitt Tonight? Correct. Yeah, I mean, you know, I started at Penn State. So, I mean, when we graduated Alderdice, I, I was going, I went to Penn State, I started summer session there, and I knew I wanted to do broadcasting. I, like, I love I loved sports, and I, I think that was in large part because I grew up. I mean, we grew up playing sports, but I, I didn't. I really do much theater in high school, uh, and so, and, and or comedy. You know, like it was just casual, like just. Well, that's because you're not funny, so it's probably right. That didn't help my comedy career. Uh, no, and I think it was just something that, like, you know, going into school, I was like, I want to. I know I'm not athletic enough to play, so I want to be, you know, the one painting the picture for people. And so, you know, I went to the PSU and did summer session. I, that was actually the summer that the, the Joe Paz statue was getting taken down and all of that sort of you know, going on. And then you get into the fall and they basically tell you like, all right, you can join the daily collegian, which is the newspaper, or you can, uh, you know, start doing, uh, the TV station. So I started dipping into that and then I got sick and, uh, I just, came down with what I thought was a stomach ache, ended up getting Crohn's disease and, uh, or I found out I had Crohn's disease. And so I transferred to Pitt to be closer to home and my GI and just, you know, sort of play it safe. And then from there, I mean, I, I decided when I hit Pitt, I was going to hit the ground running with sports broadcasting and, and there's no broadcasting major at Pitt. And so it was really a DIY thing where I was designing my own major and uh, there was a student radio station. So I would do, you know, called football games and basketball games through there. But you, you were also I, an on-field reporter for some football games, right? Yeah. So that was actually, I mean, we didn't have a TV. We there's, there wasn't a TV station at Pitt. So it was a matter of, okay, the 
you know, we, I know I can get a media pass through the, you know, the pit news, the student newspaper. So why don't we go and cover it on the field and do interviews with players or with other reporters for the paper on the sidelines and, and post them on Facebook, right? I mean, that's sort of the beauty of social media is it created outlets for these kids who wanted to do media or do anything, you know, film or whatever it might be that otherwise wouldn't have had a place to put it. So, so you created your own internship essentially. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a lot of what I did at Pitt was just figuring out ways to, to practice a craft that, that otherwise, I mean, there wouldn't have been another way to do it. And, and so I, I think that's, that was sort of the first moment I, I realized that I was going to have to, to really like, carve my own road here so how did you know like where to find these people or did you just do your research like you just kind of you know did you ask around people you know you come to a new school granted you're from the city but you know you're still at a new school without a broadcasting major so where did you find the resources to do all this yeah so you said for pit tonight um no i mean even just for like your your um your broadcasting like your on-field reporting for football and then you were also you also called the play-by-play for women's basketball, right? Uh, yeah, I did that. So I was doing play-by-play for radio for men's and women's basketball games. And, and like, you know, you'd sign up for different spots, right? But like, I mean, I was calling way more games than I would have been able to call at, you know, a school like Syracuse or even PSU, you know, right? Like these are schools with big broadcasting programs. You get tons of kids who want to call these games. You're lucky if you get to call a game. Meanwhile, like I got to call two bowl games in my first three years at Pitt. So when it came to like the resources and like getting people on board, I honestly, it was, you just like in college and you and I talked about this a little bit, but like you just have to play to people's strengths and their, their interests. So, you know, you're paying people with motivation. So it's like, Hey, uh, you know, kid in my film class, I know you like running a camera. Like I'm want to practice being on the other side of the camera. Like what kind of stuff can we work on? And, you know, I mean, a perfect example is my friend Mason, who is one of my closest friends in the world. And I, I met him in a film class. And uh, I mean, he, you know, he and I worked on you know, Pitt News multimedia stuff, which is where, you know, I was able to do on-field reporting and able to do, you know, fun, goofy on the street segments and, and things like that. So I, I think it's sort of figuring out, like, it's so much more fun when you can do that stuff with someone. You know, it's one thing to like, you know, start a, start a vlog or, you know, start you know start something on your own but i mean you want to celebrate with people right you want to go out and get that celebratory beer with other people you don't want to you know celebrate alone so <laughs> yeah um, no i i agree sorry to interrupt but you know on the on the previous episode i was talking with the other coaches and it's and it's almost like why coaching is so fun and just so enjoyable because yeah. it's almost you almost feel better about yourself when you get somebody else to to succeed. And it's kind of similar, you know, you both are finding a way to succeed. So, uh, you know, there, there's a concept of shared struggling that even though you might not feel like you're struggling, you know, you're both working together to achieve a higher goal. And all, essentially that's, that's what teamwork's all about. So that's, that's, that's pretty incredible that you found people in your class to, you know, to work towards that goal and, and kind of find, you know, similar interests and in, in work together. Well, yeah, I mean, everything sort of boils down to a, a core, a core value, a core belief, but like a core interest. And, and so if you can figure like, you know, theater and film, like, like so many of these things, they're about performance or they're about, I mean, like even like if you boil down like sports to, 
to a you know performance, right? Like like there are very core elements to these these activities and these these occupations that that have a lot of crossover. And so, you know, somebody who might end up becoming a, a sports videographer might start as, you know, somebody who's doing YouTube tutorials for engineering, right? And then they just like make their way into something like that. So I guess the, the point of that is it's, it's easier to find those people than you think. You just have to, you just have to know where to look and you have to put yourself out there, right? Like right. it's about That's walking into random classrooms. Yeah. And I, I mean, just putting yourself out there, I think is the, is the biggest thing and not being afraid to ha- to hear somebody say, no, dude, like get away from me. Right. In, in knowing that you can just ask another person. And, and I think once you kind of get over that fear of rejection is when you start to grow a little bit more. Yeah. So, and, I mean, so I was just like, when it, I guess something I, I'm curious to hear from you, cause I, you know, I sort of, when I started doing pit tonight, it, it was about recruiting and it was about finding, you know, the right people to, to play the right roles, but who were like, you know, you're paying them with motivation. So you're trying to, you're trying to find people who aren't just qualified, but who are driven to, to want to fill that role and, and like do more than just what you're asking. Do you find that when you are coaching people, like, it comes down to a couple key players who really keep things going or is it, is it possible to find someone to fill every role who is equally contributing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that when you're looking at a team, let's say a soccer from a soccer perspective, you have right. anywhere from 20 to 30 guys, maybe like that 17, 18 range. And I think finding those, that core group, essentially your captains is mm-hmm. going to be very important because you know, the, the, the incomers, the younger guys are always going to, whether they think it or not, they're going to look up to somebody and that immediate figure is going to, going to be that captain. So, you know, if you can be open with communication and do a great job of relaying your message and your goal to, to your captains, to your other coaches, and there's one message and there's, you know, one message coming down from you coming down from the captains, I think it creates for a better team environment and a better, better scenario for you to reach what you're looking for is it better to have have a vocal captain or someone who leads by example you know it i think it's a case-by-case basis it's it's tough because i think you know depending on who you who you have as players some some players respond to vocal some players just respond to you know that's the guy that's going to get the job done so you know it's it's kind of like you want to find a fine balance but it also you know you just have to see what what players you have on around you. So how many captains are on a, on a, t- like on centenaries team? How many people were there? Hey, is this my podcast or your podcast? <laughs> I guess I, I'm going to follow it up with something, but I'm curious. So, no, did you but, have- um, so when, when I was a freshman and saw, when I was a freshman, we had two, when I was a sophomore, junior and senior, we all had one. And then we usually only, we typically only do one just, so, just because sometimes like if, if you don't pick the right two, then it's not going to work because they could have conflicting ideas and con- conflicting views. Right. So you know, just having that, having two, if it's not the right pair, could be a little risky. So we just choose one. Um, but you know, some teams have three, some teams have two. Just I think it all just depends on on the cert- on the certain wow. people. Wow. And, and Jesse, again, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, no. The, the reason I asked that is because I, I think the best teams that I've been a part of have had 
two captains, one who led in a motivational way and one who led in an instructional way. And right. it was and like this, this concept of an internal mascot for one. And then, a uh, sort of like a, a commander who you have respect for because they, they, they get you done. Yeah. You know, in a perfect world, I think that's what you're looking for, but it's, it's not always a perfect world as, as we're quite aware of currently. Well, do you, do you find that people are, cause I mean, I, I guess when it comes to picking like, like recruiting kids, right? Like you want to recruit kids who are going to eventually be potential captains. So like kids, I mean, is it hard? Can you recruit someone who's, who's like trying can you see someone being a captain four years down the road? Yes, you you can. I don't think it's very common, but like, you know, a lot of high schoolers are either mature or immature. You know, I don't think there's really a, an in-between at that age. I think it's either you're mature, you're ready for the next level, or you're, and you, you're immature, you still can play at the next level. You just have a few years of growth. And, you know, even at the college level, you still get immature sophomores, juniors, seniors, whatever it may be. But it's like, but you can see it. I think it's a lot harder to find. But, you know, when you do see it and you do find it, those are the type of kids that you do ultimately want to bring because most coaches, I think, would agree that you're not trying to find the most talented kids. You're find, you're trying to find the right kids. So right. that turning point is interesting yeah, how yeah. it can be for at different times, though, for different kids. Like, I feel like a, a, a leader could be emerge junior going into senior year. But like one and, and it's, also, it's also about the environment. Like, are you providing the right environment for that kid to grow in? You know what I'm saying? Like, you could also get a very mature kid, but that environment could be terrible for him. And he might, you know, go from a nice leader to a kid who just ends up not caring because of that environment you create. So, you know, as a coach, it all, I think it all just depends on the environment you're creating for your players. So what are the components of that environment being your coaching style and the teammates? I think I think it comes down to your core values as a coach and as a coaching staff, more importantly. Hmm. Uh, it's it's interesting looking at so Pitt tonight is a student organization, and when we started it, you know, we had sixty, seventy kids in this thing. Oh, hold right? on, hold on. So let's rewind a little bit. So okay. you're you're at Pitt. When do you start Pitt tonight? So Pitt tonight, essentially, guys, is was a night show. Think Jimmy Kimmel. Think Jay Leno. Right. It was Jesse's idea to create this incredible night show called Pit Tonight, where it's all student run. So, Jesse, when did you have this idea? So, the idea of Pit Tonight as a, as a late night show came into play. It would have been spring of sophomore year, and uh, or maybe earlier. Actually, so it all started because I saw Jimmy Fallon start hosting the Tonight Show. I was like, wait, this is the perfect middle ground because I I love sports and, and and I loved entertaining and I love interviewing people, right? Like I've always been the kid who just asked too many questions. <laughs> and so I I don't know, it felt like like the perfect medium. And it and so I I reached out to Mason and, and I was like, hey, like I texted him. I was like, yo, do you think we uh, we could start a late night show at Pitt? And he's like, I mean, I don't see why not. And so uh Long story short, I ended up talking to the chancellors, people, the the president of the university's place, uh, people Wait, about so it. When you went to the president, though, did you just say, "Hey, I have this idea. Me and Mason are ready to rock," or like, did you, like what did you go to the president and the chancellor with? Well, so you, you had to come prepared. Yeah, well, <laughs> I actually wasn't because <laughs> I went to I I like had a Twitter account that I was you know messing around with being like 
um, a hybrid between like a breaking news guy, uh, a, tw- a, jo- a Twitter joke writer, and like, you know, whatever I was feeling that day. And I had on my profile, my bio said, you know, I think uh, pit, you know, at like pit news reporter, host slash reporter, something like that. But it had host in there. And so this company, this production company who was producing this uh, convention for Intel, the company, reached out to me because they saw I was a host and they saw something, a video I did. And they were like, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to host this Intel International Science Education fair or engineering fair for uh at the convention center yeah right like i'm dangerously unqualified for this thing and i'm like uh yeah i'll check my schedule you know two minutes later yeah i should be good and so that was in may and turns out the chance they asked me if i knew anybody who could work production i said mason so mason's working this thing i'm hosting it and the chancellor ends up being or the president slash chancellor he ends up being the one of the keynote speakers so backstage I went up to him and I pitched him the idea of this late night show. And so he connected me with the right people. I didn't know how the process was of starting a student organization, but come the fall, I made a sign, you know, for the the lobby of the student union that said like for the first time in 228 years, Pitt Pitt's joining late night. Like want to do what we do, we being Mason and I cuz there was nobody else. Right. I mean, you know, but I was trying to make it look like it was this established thing. And I said, want to do what we do? Like, come to, yeah, it was like, come to this room in the tall building, which is the Cathedral of Learning at this time on this day. And 30 people showed up. And, uh, and I think that was the moment where I realized like, all right, there's actually people who want to do this. And whether it's as a career or for fun, like they, they want to dive into this thing. And, you know, we, we had different stuff, right? There's different components to a show. So like, your, you've got your writers, you've got your marketing, you've got your house band, you've got your uh, production team from a live standpoint, you've got your filming team, um, you've got your talent department, which is like, you know, booking, you know, guests and things of that nature. And so it, it's a lot of different components. But I mean, our engine, our writing team was like made of engineers. It's <laughs> huh, incredible. Yeah. So it's just, awesome. yeah, I don't know. So so you so you have this meeting. So thirty kids show up to this meeting. Right. What was the first really bad joke you started the meeting with to try to break the tension? Oh my god, that's such a good question. Because <laughs> I know you tra- you probably said something really corny. Everyone laughed to make you feel good, and then you got into the meeting. Oh, I should have. You know, so Jen, my girlfriend was. The whole thing. The whole I should have recorded. The whole, I don't know why I didn't do that. Jen, my girlfriend was one of the people who came to that meeting, and uh, you probably remember. You have to ask her after this. Oh, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'm sure there's a, a really embarrassing answer to that. Right. But so you have 30 kids in front of you all starting or at least thinking or interested in buying into what this tonight show could be. Right. How did you can get them to continue to buy in not only to the show because the show is the bigger picture, but to you, because if, if they weren't bought into you, then you know, the, the show kind of falls and they're not into it either. So how did you get them to buy into you? You know, it's interesting that you, you're asking me this because you're the first person to ask me about that moment. And I was so nervous, but I was so confident. And looking back, like, I don't know where that confidence came from, but I think it kind of played into this idea that I was convincing myself that I knew I knew what I was doing, right? Like, I had never hosted a show before like that. Like, I'd never done anything of that that just, I don't know, on that, on that level. And so I, I think, and, and it was like, I think what was really honestly more daunting was the, 
the the leadership parts of it. And, and so I, I just I said everything as bluntly as possible. You know, I acknowledged the things I didn't know. And, you know, I acknowledge that the elements that were going to take a lot of coordination, right? We didn't have cameras. You know, I, I think I said to them, like, look, we don't have cameras. We don't have a stage. We don't <laughs> well, have. Mason had a camera, right? So you have one camera. We have one camera. Um, and, and but we have people who want to do this and we'll find a way to do it, even if it's in a parking lot. Like, we'll, we'll figure this out. And. And I explained to them the idea for it and said, you know, you are part of the process. And and I think that's really what took this and made it successful was because it wasn't just, hey, I've got a uh, I've got a vision. Help me, you know, bring that to life. It, it was, hey, I think we share a vision for what this could be. And, and and I think, you know, with our interests lying in different areas we can collaborate and make something really special. And you're dealing with creative people, dude, who are like, you've got theater people, you've got marketing people, you've got, uh, like, I mean, like, the, ever, I can't even, like, writers, right, no, you, you know? From all different majors, you know, because like you said, there's no broadcasting major, so you had everybody come together. Right, it's like on but, top of your passions, it's, it's, it's different majors. So you have personalities from every corner of the universe. Right, and, and I think, too, you, you touched on a really important point is even though it was your idea and you kind of got it together, you still made it about everybody else, right? You didn't say, Hey, help me do this. You said, let's help us together do something that's never been done before. And, and I think like, even though you might not have even realized it, but by saying it in that way, by helping them, it kind of created that buy-in, you know, making everybody come in together on this whole project. You know, something that uh, our friend Daniel does is he'll, uh, and I, we obviously love Daniel Grill, but like what, what Grill will do is he'll, he'll hear a joke, right? And he'll, he'll repeat it. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? Confirmation bias. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, no, I mean, it's just, and it's, it's hilarious. And I, I noticed like, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm thinking of that, but like for a long time, I was somebody who like felt like I, I don't know if I felt like I wasn't like my ideas weren't being heard or if I, you know, like if I, it was like, it was like I needed to get credit for things, you know, I needed right. to like have like my people know it was my idea. And I think Pit Tonight was a huge turning point for, for just like acknowledging it didn't, if you really cared about the idea, it, it didn't have to be your idea because it was more about making it happen. Right. And, and yeah. And, and so you know, that, like it's it's perfect. And and I love this because I hope that our listeners are seeing that even though this has nothing really to do with sports, like it's still a team environment. And what you're saying is basically like I had the biggest the biggest picture, the goal of winning the championship, which was producing, getting this pit tonight show off the ground, and I will do whatever it takes. And you didn't care about your individual success or fame because you knew like the once the big picture happens, the championship you know, it'll all come back to you and it'll, it'll come around in that full circle and everybody will get that success that, that they dream of. So I, you know, you're touching on some great points that can correlate with sports, which I love. And I, I think there's a, you know, there's an insecurity complex that, you know, that was definitely fuel that was fueling that a little bit as well. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, it's still there on some level, but I, I think a big part of it is trying to try when you want to do something like, you know, journalist, when you want to do something like me, like that's a medium or like a vehicle for things, you, 
sometimes like there's moments where like, I feel like I don't have context, right. Or I don't have like substance. And, and the truth is like the substance is the vehicle, but like, you know, that desire for, 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 you know, credit for the idea or whatever it might be. I think it was really rooted in like me just trying to feel like I was providing something, you know, like if I was going to host this show, like I, I almost, there was like this weird feeling of guilt that I had that was like, Oh, like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, somehow walk, be able to walk on stage and have this all, you know, laid out on a, a silver platter for me. And it's like, no, like, that's not at all how this works. And like, you're part of a team in a much bigger way. And it, and it took, you know, it took experiences like that to realize it, but it's definitely made me a better, better collaborator. And, and, and yeah, I mean, it's made me a better teammate, dude. There's right. and a better coach too. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we, we talked the other day, uh, just about like working in different environments and working with people. And you can kind of sense the people that have, uh, you know, have had experience either with sports or like in a collaborative effort working with a team. And you can kind of tell the people who haven't, cause they don't really understand the big picture. But um, so let's, let's, so you have 30 kids show up to this meeting in the spring of whatever, 2013, 2014, maybe um, what went from there? Cause then it's summer break. What, so how did you go from spring to summer to the next fall? Take me through that process. Okay, so December fourteenth, two thousand fifteen, was our first episode, and, and you know when it came to teeing that up, I knew that was sort of it's like a pilot. It is a pilot episode, so you're you're proving that you are worth continuing, and, and not just for you know, the audience, but for it's really for the people who are in the student organization. And so our two guests were. Uh, a uh, Ophelia who worked in the cafeteria in the uh, in the in the Cathedral of Learning, or I'm sorry, in the uh, in the in the student union. And but I'm then, guessing Ophelia is just somebody every student knew who was like that cafeteria worker that's there every day. Bingo. Yeah. And then the I other like guest had one of those, so that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I you know it was her, and it was the chancellor like the president of the university, because right. the thought was showing him that, you know, we'd been able to follow through on this, but also like two people who all the students know who are on completely different sides of the conversation when it comes to the university, but like still have the same goal. And right. and, and that was, that's probably one of the, the smartest decisions we made. Um, but from there, yes. What'd you say? Who was in charge of, of bringing the guests on? Was it your idea or, or team effort? So it was a team effort in the sense that like we would talk about it. I the first year, and really a lot because I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, I was able to know right. how to get in touch with people. I mean, you know, it's just like the geography of Pittsburgh <laughs> and the social scene worked in a way where it was easier for me to just call these people. But when it came to like handling, you know, making sure they were comfortable and, and basically every other part other than just asking them to be on the show, it was, I mean, it, it was our, you know, Sean and Gab and, and Kara and, and the people who were taking care of the guests and making sure that when we said their name and started playing music, like they walked they out on stage. Like legit backstage, ready to go night show style is awesome. And you guys sold out every, like just about every show, right? Yeah, we did really well. So our, our what'd you say? Where'd the money go? We didn't charge. Oh, I, oh, yeah, dude. I paid a dollar when I came. Maybe because I'm not a student. Yeah, you paid a dollar. That went toward uh, noodles and company that I had earlier that day. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually. I don't know which episode 
you were talking about, but I think a lot of it, the first year I actually went to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Oh, nice. Uh, and then the next year it might've gone back to paying me back for things I had bought for the set and not asked for reimbursement. Gotcha. Yeah. But regardless, <laughs> so how many, how many students ended up working total throughout, throughout the show? Oh my God. Like who on the staff at one time, yeah. as many as like, honestly, 60 or 70, but what we were 60, 60 to 70 students your age. Now, how, how did you manage that many kids with, I guess, basically, I mean, you're, you're their age, you know, how, how did you deal with 60 to 70 of your peers? Well, frankly, it, it wasn't, it wasn't me, you know, it was, it was, the the department heads right so you've got five sets of department heads who are taking care of their committee or group from how did, how did you choose the department heads or were they kind of just volunteering to say hey let me do this i did job interviews the job interviews that's uh, awesome yeah um <laughs> so these department heads had to one they were volunteering their time they had to interview for it with you what were you looking for in them <laughs> showing up i i honestly like it was, yeah. And I hosted, I remember I had all the department interviews, uh, head interviews in the, uh, in the business school because I felt that was going to be more official. <laughs> and, and it was just about like making sure I had an application because it's easier to write the questions than to answer them. Right. I mean, that's right. So I, I figured, look, if they took the time to fill this out, like they're in and if they really suck, that'll shine through. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it, we had two to three department heads per, you know, per department. So it, it ended up being much more manageable and, and it really came down to, you know, uh, those department heads and then anywhere from three to five people on each committee to really make things happen. And, and, and like, take the lead. What'd you say? Have any of them use you for a job reference yet? Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually used, <laughs> I made pit tonight stationary for one of them. And, uh, that was one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had to myself ever. I don't know. You know, when, like we have, you know, there, there was like a, a website and everything. So it's not like if they Googled pit tonight, they were going to get like university of Pittsburgh's like student organization page. But like, if they did their research, they would realize that I was, I was, two years old <laughs> but hey uh, so december what 2015 you said was the first episode yeah so are you a junior at this time yeah okay so now you're a junior you're entering your second how many episodes you did two seasons then right yes yeah, so we did five the first year and that first year was you know we sort of screwed ourselves over because the first year we had great guests. And so, you know, there's only so many household names or celebrity names in Pittsburgh. Right. So when you bring on, you know, when you're, when you're marketing to pit to pit students who don't all live in Pittsburgh, it, it makes it a little bit harder. I can imagine. Yeah. You know, cause you, you bring on Dan Gilman, who's a city councilman, but if you don't know that Dan Gilman's a councilman and that he represents the Oakland area, well, that that's like, that's nothing to you. Right. Right. Um, and it's, it probably means nothing to the, you know, 50% of kids that don't live in Pittsburgh anyway. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, I, I, you know, I mean, but we got, you know, we had the mayor and we had Cyril Wecht, the you know, forensic pathologist. And we, we had like cool guests like that, that I, I think it, it was just guests who could have fun. 
Uh, and then going into the next year, it was like, okay, we got to tee up the, the, the next year after that, like year three, when, you know, we're all, you know, when a lot of us aren't there to, to still be able to be successful. We can't take all the guests for ourselves. That's just, that's not playing the long game. Right. So how many, how many episodes do you say again? The second one, sorry. So five, the first year and I believe seven, the, the last year or the second year. Which season, I guess we'll call it, which year did you feel was best? Define best. Like, tell me your successes. Let's do this. Tell me your successes of the first year as a whole group and the second year. And then tell me, yeah, really just start with the successes. All right. So the successes of the first year were getting it off the ground. Running, yeah. What'd you say? I'd say you got it running. Yeah, getting it running. And then um, we did... We really wanted to to find a way to get the university on our side, and, and we did that early. It's not like people were against us, but you know, when you have students living off campus and you're making jokes about, you, you want to make jokes about things happening all over, right? Because if you if you surround them with jokes, then then you're tapping into their livelihood, and so like our band, right? Like one of the streets that, you know, is, you know, Boulevard of the allies, which is right. You know, one of the, the far streets that sort of sets a border for the university. And so our band's name was allies of the Boulevard. Right. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, jokes that you're writing about South Oakland, which is the neighborhood off campus that all the students live in. And then you've got like, you know, restaurants that are health department questionable that you're making fun of. And like all these different things that you kind of have to play into. And, and so ultimately we, in going into the spring, we decided that we were going to do a challenge. We were going to challenge a late night show, like a national one, to to something and get get as a as a way to basically get people behind something other than right. just saying, "Hey, here's our video, click on it." And so we challenged Jimmy Fallon to an eating contest, and which he, he so <laughs> well so. <laughs> We challenged him to eating uh, a Pramani sandwich, the famous sandwiches with fries, and uh, whoever could eat it faster between he and I, uh, the loser would have to uh, bathe in 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 coleslaw. Yeah, weren't you already bathed in coleslaw when you announced the video? No, (laughs) I thought you did it in the okay. No, we thought about that, but (laughs) that would have defeated the purpose. But we. no, we did it. And we, we did eventually, I mean, we got so many people on our side right. of this thing and we got media coverage and it sort of, you know, all these departments, all these corners of the university ended up, you know, tweeting at us and posting with hashtag Fallon versus Irwin. And like, right. it was bizarre. I mean, we were trending in Pittsburgh and, and that was a really fun moment where people, people really started to know the show. And, and we ended up hearing back from the tonight show saying like, Hey, uh, know we love the challenge we've heard all about it but unfortunately like we can't accept every challenge that's thrown away and because there's not a charity element to it we can't so that was a good lesson but it was also like it ended up being way more about the exposure of our show to the student body than it was like it was more about the marketing frankly than it was about the actual execution yeah no i mean i remember (laughs) i remember seeing it um but that that's cool i mean it's pretty incredible that you know, a group of students can really have that big of an impact on a city, on a university to, to kind of gain that, that little bit of, 
of citywide fame. So that's pretty cool. But so you finish up season two. And yeah. Have- so the just really quickly, season two, the I would say the the successes of, of that were um, there were a couple, but I mean we we were able to to do some some really cool content ahead of the election because that was the election in 2016. We right. we did videos with Steve Carell and Brian Cranston, and right. um, we I don't know we found a, a a flow with it, and the fact that we were able to hand off like like a lot of the department heads graduated, and so the fact we were able to successfully hand the baton to this you know, this next group of kids. I mean, that, that was really special in itself. And so, yeah. So that, that's interesting. Cause that was the next thing I wanted to bring up. So once you stopped doing the show, what happened? So in the spring of 2017, we started accepting applications for a host and, you know, we had auditions and then came down to, three final candidates who interviewed each of them um, for uh, basically I taped an inter- an hour long interview with each of them. And then we sent that to all the department heads to watch over spring break. And then we came back together after spring break and we made our decision. And then, and then we had one finale where we asked all the guests from the last two years back. And just like that, I disappeared into the night. <laughs> is, is the show still going on? Yeah, it is. Well, I don't, you know, I don't, it's not right now because pandemic, but, (laughs) uh, but yeah, no, it's still going. Okay. I didn't know. I thought it just kind of, you know, once, once I thought I just lived and died with you, but that's good. So basically, basically what I wanted to ask was, you know, I think the, the real meaning of being a teammate and being part of a team is, is creating that legacy beyond you so you know this book called legacy speaking of uh it's about the all blacks the rugby team right they they always talk about uh being a good ancestor and planting trees you'll never see so you know for me as a coach and as a person in general everything i really strive strive to do is just to lead leave something to, that i can make an impact for for somebody coming after me so that's why actually if you see on the logo it says my podcast is creating a path for the next generation and right how does it make you feel that you started this and now look at where it is, you know, we're in 2020. Now it started in 2015, you're five years in and the show is still going on. I assume it's still pretty popular on the campus. Like, you know, how, how do you feel about something that you created? This is your legacy. You know, pit tonight is your legacy. I think in order for something to live beyond you, you have to sacrifice something while you're part of it. And for me, I gave that show and that student organization and, and the people who were involved with it, everything I had. And, and that's why, you know, because they, because I did that, they did that. And because they did that, I did that. And in return, like we were able to you know, make this baby, you know, and, you know, it's to turn it into something that, could stand on its own two feet even after we we graduated and and I think that's really that's really what makes something special is is the context of your actions and your commitment and like when you leave it at all out on the field there's 
there's nothing more that you can really you, there, nobody could have asked for anything more from you. I mean, that that's that's the biggest thing I learned from it tonight. Is if so I know, yeah, oh, go ahead. No, Continue. it's like if I want something to happen, I've got I've got to give it all I have and like my authentic self, right? Like not just like, hey, here's my body for you know labor. It's <laughs> like no, here's like here's the real me, and and here you know here's what I can contribute to this. And in identifying weaknesses that you have and in understanding how as, you know, with the people that you have to work with, how you can still accomplish that and, and maybe how you can make up for it. I mean, you know, early in, okay, so November election, 2016, I did a video. I, I decided like I wanted to write a song about Gary Johnson, the candidate who was running for the Libertarian Party, who pronounced Aleppo wrong and all this stuff. And like, I, he was just, for some reason, he was hilarious to me. And so I... I wrote the song. I got help from you know, our friend Joaquin and some people, but I, I really like, I, I dialed in on like working on this thing by myself. I got the Heinz, the Heinz Chapel choir, uh, which is this choir at, at Pitt uh, of like, you know, 50, 60 people uh, to, to sing backup vocals for me. And then I asked all my, uh, you know, people in Pitt tonight to, to come and film it. And I produced the whole thing. I edited the whole thing. And afterward I felt like crap. And, and I couldn't understand why I wasn't happy. Like I, I posted it and like people really weren't like, it wasn't driving the same kind of traffic that you would want something like that to. And, and I, I went to talk to one of my professors about it and, and he said, you know, it, it sounds like you did a lot of this just by yourself and you weren't really collab. You just asked people to like lend a hand. And so I thought about that. And then come the spring, I decided like the last segment I would do would be uh, a day with the chancellor. So a day with the, the president of the university who I had initially pitched the show to and, and take him into South Oakland on a bike ride and, and, and give him the student experience and, and pick his brain on topics that people always wanted to ask him about. And I collaborated from the very beginning. I collaborated with people on that. And the difference in satisfaction and just like happiness that I felt in comparison to that segment in the fall, it was night and day because I had learned like how to, how to work with people to find a common goal versus just trying to seek it out on my own and, and, and not trusting that ultimately the best idea truly will succeed. And it, it's okay if it's not yours, you know, it, it's, it's about accomplishing the, the best possible possible product. And like, that's only possible if you work with other people. That's awesome. Uh, that's a really cool story. That's some great insight. I really do agree with you too. That you know, there's doing it on your own is cool. You know, but but sharing that that ride with other close friends and peers just makes makes something a lot better. Um, but so you graduate Pitt. Pitt tonight's still going on. Now you're a morning news anchor. Is this ultimately like kind of what you had in mind or is the tonight, are you going to run a Jesse Irwin tonight show one day? Uh, something I was reminded of when, when I was graduating was uh, from one of our, one of the head writers for Pitt tonight and I were talking and he said to me, you know, we've, we've done late night. Like we, yeah, we might not have worked for NBC's or, you know, CBS's, but like for the record, we, we've we've accomplished it. We wrote for a late night show. You hosted a late night show. Like we 
we did this thing. And, and when it comes down to the craft of it, right? Like whether you're in La Liga, whether you're playing for dice, I mean, like high school soccer or, you know, professional soccer, it's still soccer. And, and it's as serious as you take it. And it's as you get as much out of it as you put into it. And so that was a really good reminder for me that like, I didn't need to be all in on working for SNL or a late night show or, you know, Comedy Central right out of college. And, and, and maybe ever, I don't know, but there's almost more comfort in not knowing what the future holds than there is having a set plan and trying to follow that to a T. And, and, and I think that's, that's where I'm at. You know, it took me a long time to realize that Pittsburgh PA <laughs> didn't have to be, that it didn't have to be the, the only place I was. I was so set on making that the place, man. Like I, I was, I looked at all the celebrities and, and success stories, the Jeff Goldblum's, the Gene Kelly's, the, the Andy Warhol's. I looked at all those people and I was like, wow, they all leave. Like, why, why do they have to, why, why does Michael Keaton have to dip out? And, and then it, it kind of hit me that like, it's okay because they had, they still started in Pittsburgh. They just might've left earlier than you claim to be, you know, deeming acceptable. And so, you know, after, you know, the, I mean, God, it was, it was sort of a, a, a one, two punch that, that made me apply for things outside of our hometown, but it was, it was the, I mean, the passing of, of Mac Miller definitely started things. You know, when Malcolm passed away, that was sort of a wake up call of like, I don't know. I don't really know what that, it, it, it was just, I mean, you remember right. that. They're kind of like you were just ready to, to move on, see where life takes you. And then, you know, you can always, you know, Pittsburgh will always have you back essentially, you know, but I, yeah, but I, you realized that it was time for you to, to venture out on your own a little bit. Yeah, I was like, what do I, what do I really, what, what, what is it about my legacy that I really care about? And, and then from there, you know, the, the shooting at tree of life definitely, uh, you know, it shook us all up and, and made our connection to home different than, that different than I think we had ever really thought about it. And then my mom's best friend and, you know, an aunt equivalent of mine, Martha, she, she passed away. Um, I, I took her home one night after a, a dinner and I took her dog out for a walk. And, uh, when I, when I came back, she was unconscious and I, I, you know, tried to do CPR and the police came and medics came and for you know, 24, 48 hours later, she passed away. And it was sort of that, that, one, two, three of those three events that happened, you know, in, 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 I guess a year span, but it was, it, it felt so, I mean, no, it wasn't even a year span. It, it all felt so quick. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it just kind of made me look, I was, it wasn't that I wanted to get away from home, but it was just like, go out and explore the world. Cause it could end tomorrow. And so I just applied to jobs in El Paso, Texas. I applied to a job in uh, Mobile, Alabama. I applied to a job in Pittsburgh, Kansas, Joplin, Missouri. And I mean, it's weird, man. I can't believe, you know, I've been here for a year and four months and I mean, it's like I blinked and, and, and it happened, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I agree. I agree. It's a, a touching story, but one that I think a lot of people need to realize is that, you know, it's, it's now or never. And a lot of people will, will say tomorrow, you know, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do that. But why not today? So really, I like, mean, uh, yeah, I, go ahead. I just want to, I want to throw one other thing in there we, we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to not 
get out of the park the first time. And I, I mean, you and I have talked about this, but I, I think this, you know, whether no matter what situation you grow up in, no matter how well of a, you, know, you understand what you, you know, you think you want to be doing next, like it's, there is no path that can't go in another way. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, I can go from emceeing, you know, like pogo, you know, pogo stick stunt <laughs> teams to to doing play by play for women's basketball to working at the Apple Store to to driving Uber or Lyft to to doing voiceover work to being you know playing the role of of Abel in, you know in in an operatic retelling of the Book of Genesis for a hundred dollars like like the random shit that we 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 somehow managed to bounce off of like we can still find our way into a role that we're happy in and like we're only more qualified for the role we want to do with those experiences. So I, you know, yeah, no. And, and I think that's, that's an important thing too, because I think everybody should try something new. Like don't be afraid to get out and do things that make you uncomfortable. You know, I know just from a personal experience, I've done a ton of different jobs where some I didn't like, you know, some I enjoyed, but at least I can say that I did it. And now you know that, that you don't like it or that you do like it, you know, cause I think a lot of times too, when people start taking jobs or whatever it may be, you know, they're going to be like, oh, this is what I wanted to do. This is what I want to do. But you never tried it. So how do you really know? And then once they get in there, they're like, oh, man, I hate this because they never knew what to expect. So, you know, just get out of your comfort zone, right? Just don't be afraid to to really put yourself out there. You know, I was talking to this doctor. She's a psychotherapist. She works with uh, children uh, with autism. And, and I was asking her about like what can parents and families who have children with autism uh, in them, you know, do to make this time easier, right? All these kids learning from home, all these kids spending way more time uh, not being social in ho- in the house, you know, like, like around devices and all this stuff. What, what can they do to make life just easier in this transition easier? And she was describing like the importance of routine and and it's so clear that, you know, routine is, is everything because that's what helps you, you know, make those little incremental moments of progress. I mean, your, your routine right now, dude, like you're walk me through your daily routine. I'll get up, uh, between five and six and then I'll go for a little walk, listen to an audio book then I'll read, I'll do some studying I'll work out, you know, walk my dog, maybe do some more studying, but it kind of afternoon kind of rotates, but at least the morning is always the same for me. What, like that's <laughs> since you and I first talked about that, I've been trying to establish more of a routine with like every little thing. Like the, you know, the moment I get my coffee is right before I go on air in the morning. Yeah. You know, I'm going live from five to 8am. I, I will, you know, it'll be four fifty-five. I, I, I you know, make coffee and then I, I go and sit in the chair, you know, like it's just trying to have that, that flow. And I don't know what it is, man, but that it is a life changing epiphany when you have any, any semblance of a routine like set up. So it's huge. hold on. So, so now, so we, we talked a lot about pit tonight and it kind of seems like that was something you were extremely passionate about. You had people behind you that were just as passionate. How do you help people, whether you're in high school, entering college, whether you're in college, entering the, you know, graduating, or whether you're a coach right now who has 10 years of experience, how do you help people find what they're passionate about and what essentially their purpose may be? So 
starting with with people who don't know what they want to do. I mean, I, I think trial and error will forever be the best way to do that. And 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 maybe that means like trying something that you know you don't like for the sake of maybe finding something that's analogous with it. You know, the reason I love interviewing people, you know, on our sh- the, the, the show I do and, and, and just talking to people about their craft, whether it be soccer or, you know, fighting noxious weeds or uh, working with children with autism or whatever it might be is because there ultimately is, is there's a, there's an equivalent in, in your, you know, in our own lives, in, in our own line of work in, in what we do. And so I think in order for people to, People have their passion. They have that within them. They either just don't know it yet. They haven't been introduced to it yet, or they haven't seen its reflection in something else. And and so I I do recommend starting like my cousin, Olivia, she was at dice, right? She was at Alder dice high school and she, she would always, you know, she'd go home and she would watch star Trek all the time. And so she decided, you know what, like I'm going to start a club where I just watch movies and TV shows, basically like a book club, but with, streaming services you know and like that was a way for her to to start to learn that you know what she liked about movies and and what she liked about tv shows and now she's a photography major at chatham you know and like like being able to to just experience stuff is really you know if if you were to close your eyes the only way you get a better sense of what's around you is to listen and to you know to feel around you to, to smell use your other senses so if you can't if you can't think of what, you know, right off the top of your head, what you are passionate about, like you got to put yourself in the room, right? Put yourself in the environment because otherwise, like there's no way you're ever going to know if you don't step into the room or at least step into the wrong room because no room's the wrong room. It's just, <laughs> it's just one that's going to teach you more about yourself. So, I mean, that's my thought, right? But like, I, you know, you're, you're also talking to the kid who like, I mean, I, I was terrified of doing theater in, in high school, yet I had done it in middle school. And, and it took, you know, college to, for me to even realize that I had missed, I'd missed out on that, but there's still opportunities with community theater. There's still opportunities in what I do. There's still opportunities in improv groups. So like you never miss your opportunity. So I think this fear of not finding your passion or not finding what you are inspired by or motivated by that should, you shouldn't have that fear because there's no, there's no pressure of time because you're you're ultimately like you always have the chance to do whatever that you find that passion might end up being and even if it's right. not your first job out of college right like I will, yeah i will say this about the opportunity is it's not that you don't miss your opportunity i think the only opportunity you miss is the one that you don't take advantage of and i think everything you do there's an opportunity in it just depends on your mindset and the way you're going to look at it. Two hundred percent. Yeah, so I think that's the way people need to see opportunity. Oh my but, god! I mean, you you miss three thousand percent of the shots you don't take. So if if you if you're just, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Michael Scott. I uh, know. I mean, that's that's probably where if you if you had to you know pin me against the wall and say what's your one regret? I mean. I don't have regrets, but if I had to have like one thing that I, I, I feel like I missed out on, it was, it was not doing, not, not doing more performance stuff in high school. Now, given I played two sports that I knew nothing about going in, right. Field hockey and football. I mean, I was, you know, <laughs> so, 
you know, ridiculously all city kicker, all city kicker. Don't you forget it. But like, I, I think that there's, there's something to putting yourself in those, uh, in those uncomfortable situations in order to learn about yourself. And, you know, those are shots that I didn't have to take, but I decided to take. And I mean, God, dude, I mean, my college essay was about, you know, what it was like to go from field hockey to field goals. (laughs) That's incredible. Well, Jesse, this was absolutely awesome. Um, Thank you for actually answering my text later or earlier in the week. The last (laughs) week actually set this up. So I do appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I, Really enjoyed actually hearing more about Pitt tonight because I never really asked you. So it was awesome to hear the backstory of it. I hope our listeners enjoyed everything you had to say about working in a team environment outside of sports and how they can relate to that. Um, Any last words from you, Jesse? Don't forget that that Jesse Goldman is a a wealth of knowledge uh, and that he is learning about himself through you. So anytime you reach out to him about something, I don't know. I mean, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like every time you talk, you work with a new, you know, a new athlete or you, 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 whatever it might be, I feel like you are, you are learning just as much about yourself as you are them. No. I mean, absolutely. You know, they, they say, or the quote is to teach us to learn twice. So, you know, every time I get the opportunity and the privilege to work with a new athlete or a new person, you know, I learn more ways how I like to teach and learn about myself. So, you you know, you are, you are pretty spot on there. It's pretty amazing when you look at the coaching that we did for kids like in high school and like how that probably compares to, to coaching college kids. It's, it's gotta be, I mean, is it, is it a huge difference or is it, is it more similar than one might think? What do you mean? Like coaching youth to college? Yeah. Like, you know, if you're, if you're in high school coaching kids in fifth and sixth grade versus coaching, you know, kids who are college students and are there on scholarship or are there. And, and yes, I mean, it's different. The principles are the same. The, the ways you teach are going to be different, but you know, the principles of just being a good person, being a friend, being a mentor, being a leader, those will never change as you're, as you know, whenever you're a coach. So principles are the same. The The ways you teach and you educate are going to be obviously different because you're working with different ages and different skill level. Who's got a bigger ego, a middle schooler, a high schooler, or a college student? <laughs> Probably. I mean, it, I think it all just depends on which, like, kind of the level they're at. I think high school kids will always have the biggest egos because high school sports are easy to be good at. But once you get to college, you know, it's that's a, that's a whole new level. Um, so probably high school kids actually. All right. I'm going to write that down, <laughs> but Jesse, thank you again. Thanks, this was buddy. awesome. Looking forward to seeing you whenever you're home next. Oh, whenever I can fly home, stay safe, <laughs> stay indoors. See you later.